Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. One of our favorite features of Jesus was what I suppose we could call his x-ray vision. You know, our world is made of surfaces. They're the things you see immediately when you meet someone new. When you come across some situation, good or bad, you see the surfaces. You look at the appearance. You make judgments based on what you see. The amazing thing about Jesus was he was able to look beyond the surface of basically everyone and everything he came across and immediately get to the very heart of what was underneath. He fulfilled in himself the ancient saying, the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, that's the surface, but the Lord looks on the heart. So there's our Savior. His body is weary. He sits himself in the desert beside a well of Samaria. And out walks a woman in the middle of the day. Now, there are many things to observe on the surface. And anyone but Jesus would have probably stopped right there on the surface. For example, it's quite clear this is a woman, and he is a man. And at that time, for them to speak in private, although out in the open, just them two, what would people think? Again, she is a Samaritan. He is a Jew. And the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. They are separated by tradition, by religion, by rivalries, by history. That's the surface of things. And so anyone who rested upon the surface of that circumstance would observe the expected silence of that moment. But Jesus was not that sort of person. And gazing beyond the surface of things, he said, could you give me a drink of water? Of course, she was shocked. How is it that you a Jew, she asked, as for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? That's the surface of things. But to Jesus, she was not just a woman of Samaria. He knew her. He knew what was going on in her life beyond the surface of things. He knew the immorality that she was committing. And he knew that underneath everything else, there was a soul created by God, for God, thirsting after God and salvation. Or again, think of Jesus walking among the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes of his day. There's the surface that everyone else sees, which, wow, these are some rather devout Jewish people. Long robes, phylacteries, observing every external act necessary to give the impression, which they did, that they are very holy. Making sacrifices, fasting twice a week. And it had seemed again on the surface that because of their devoutness to Yahweh Most High, they were granted some political clout in their communities. These were the people of prestige, those blessed by God. That's the surface. And Jesus peered right through all the facade and said, Woe to you, 
scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you clean the outside of the bowl and cup and inwardly are full of greed and self-indulgence. No one else was saying that because few others were seeing that, but Jesus had the ability to go beyond the surface to see what was in the heart. You and I, of course, don't have the heights of Christ's intellect or the depths of his insight, but he does turn and beckon us as his disciples to learn his ways, not just to make judgments based on what we see externally, but to be able with God's help to go beyond that to the heart, the heart of people, the heart of a matter or a situation that we encounter. And that does become the question then is, do you imitate Christ in this way as his follower? Do you live beyond the surface of things? Or is your life mainly characterized by the surface of things, by how things appear, by light and trivial pursuits, by just how someone looks when you meet them, the firm handshake and the nice suit, and now your estimation is through the roof? <laughs> Christ calls you to a different kind of life, looking beyond the surface of things. And when we come to the end of Galatians, nearly the very end of Galatians, Paul summarizes his whole argument throughout this letter by pushing us beyond the surface that everyone gets so interested in and entangled in to the heart, in this case, of salvation itself, of Christianity itself, of life itself. So let's see this. We're looking beyond the minor things that tend to entertain us to the very heart of things. Galatians 6, beginning verse 15. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. I hope that by now you have some grasp of the situation this letter was written to address. There were those errorists, those false teachers known as the Judaizers who had come to the Galatian converts whom Paul apparently had led to the Lord. But these Judaizers came in afterward and they said, faith in Christ is not enough for salvation. You must also be circumcised and keep the regulations of the law of Moses. In other words, if you were not Jewish, you basically had to become Jewish first, and then you could be saved through faith in Christ. Faith in Christ was not enough. And Paul has been battling that through the doctrine of justification by faith alone, and we've seen that in this letter. And now Paul has to bring this letter to a close, and he provides, like I said, a kind of summary. This is a summary of the great arguments that he has been making. He has the Judaizers over here on one side. He is appealing against them and their false doctrines and gospel. And then he has his own gospel of salvation by faith alone here. And so he states this rule, this summary of all he's argued. Neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. That's the surface of things. That's what the Judaizers loved. And Paul says it means nothing, like I've said. But what matters? A new creation. What Paul's gospel produces what it's all about, recreating people in the image of God. This is the rule that's mentioned in verse 16. As for all who walk by this rule, P 
peace and mercy be upon them. Now, you and I want peace, and certainly we want God's mercy to be upon us, and therefore, it matters a lot to us that we live our lives according to this rule, this summary that is given here, and that's exactly what we'll do. Consider this rule that we are to walk by, this rule that gets to the heart of everything beyond the surface. So, let's consider this rule first positively, or sorry, first negatively, and then we're going to turn and consider it positively. The negative part of this rule is at the beginning of verse 15. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision. Now, you and I don't live our lives particularly concerned with circumcision, so we have to draw out some principles from what's going on here, like we've done all the way through Galatians. And this is really the rule or the principle we can draw from what Paul is saying here. It is, negatively put, do not live your life majoring in the minors. Because what Paul has done in what he just said right there is he reached up to the top shelf of the Judaizers to the thing that for the Judaizers was everything, everything. It's why they left the comfort of their homes to go into Galatia to spread their false gospel they could be doing other things. Why are they laboring to change the minds of these Galatian converts? Because at the top shelf of the Judaizers, the thing of most utmost importance is circumcision. Circumcision. And of course, keeping the regulations. Making Gentile converts to Christianity into Jews, which you do by getting them circumcised, as we've seen in this letter. And that's at the top shelf. And what Paul does in this verse, bluntly, is reaches to the top shelf of what they major in and pulls it off, circumcision, and even doubly, uncircumcision, and says, well, it's irrelevant. <laughs> Throws it down there. Paul refuses to major in circumcision because circumcision, according to our text, is a minor. It is not a major. It is a minor. That's what he means when he says, it doesn't count for anything. It's this important. This important, actually. It's not important. <laughs> the Judaizers were, I guess, the sort of person that if they lived in our day, they would preach long sermons on the importance of circumcision. You would go onto their social media accounts and there would be long rants about circumcision. You have to have it to be saved. And Paul is out of his mind. He's crazy. What is he talking about? It's the Jerusalem apostles certainly influenced him. But no, you need to be circumcised. They would be having large conferences and drawing crowds so that they could extol the glories of being circumcised. That's what everything was about for them. They'd be lobbying in D.C. Their whole life is behind this one thing. And Paul says, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision matter. Now, to be fair, there certainly was a time in history when circumcision did matter. Uh, all the way back in Genesis chapter 17, in the story of Abraham, we find that God came to Abraham and made a covenant with him and all his descendants, the Abrahamic covenant. And in Genesis 17, this is what God told Abraham, 
Quote, this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. And then he added afterward, any uncircumcised male shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. It mattered then. The Mosaic law, which came after Abraham, also makes clear that circumcision mattered. It was required of all the people in the law. Leviticus 12.3 said it had to happen on the eighth day. So yes, it did matter. Before Christ came, it mattered because before Christ came, God's people we saw in Galatians were under a tutor, the law. And that tutor said you had to be circumcised, all the males, to prepare the way for Jesus to come. But Paul already has made clear in Galatians chapter 3 this. The law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So the law still instructs us by showing us things about God's being, His moral character, which is unchanging. But the regulations, including circumcision are no longer binding on the people of God. That's why Paul can say, now, in the text, circumcision doesn't count for anything. Nor uncircumcision. It is an irrelevant matter when it comes to salvation. Circumcision was the sign that God gave in the first covenant with His people, the old covenant. But Hebrews 8.13 makes clear that that first covenant has become obsolete, really has been fulfilled in Christ. When he went to die that day before, when he takes the cup, he says, this cup, this is the blood, this is the new covenant that I'm inaugurating by my blood. We Christians and the Galatians live in the new covenant, and in the new covenant there is no sign of circumcision. That's again why Paul can say it doesn't matter now, it doesn't matter whether you're circumcised or not, doesn't matter. But the Judaizers who didn't get that memo, apparently, are spreading their message everywhere that it matters. It matters a lot. It matters the most. And Paul says, uh, no, it doesn't. These are men making much ado about nothing. And Paul says, it doesn't matter either way. Now, it's hard for us to feel today the weight of a statement like this in Paul's context. Because to the Jewish people, not only was circumcision a part of the covenant with Abraham and a part of their whole history and even a direct command through the law from God for centuries of their history, but it was just built into the fabric of everything, the way the Jewish people thought. We are the good guys, the circumcised good guys, and out there are the uncircumcised bad guys. It just was built into them, but it seeped into them. So it was easy in that context, among Jews at least, harder among Gentiles, for the Judaizers to come in and say, hey, circumcision's everything. It's so important. But Paul's blunt about it and he says, nope, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. And that's why we extract this principle, this first principle here, at least the negative part of it. What Paul is saying in this statement is, don't major in the minors. That's what the Judaizers were doing. Top shelf, a minor thing that didn't matter. Now, this is a hard rule for any of us to apply. Because if you're majoring in a minor, 
of course, you think it's a major. <laughs> That's why you're majoring in it. So it would be difficult to convince you that it's a minor, just like the Judaizers, of course, thought circumcision was a major thing. There are some minors in our life, minor things, minor matters that fall into exactly the same category as circumcision and uncircumcision in this text, where Paul can say it simply doesn't matter. There are some things like that that we encounter. It'd be like, and this happens in churches, some churches become basically the comment section under a rather innocent YouTube video about, I don't know, chickens. And you go down in the comment section and there's a full-out war happening. And you think, how are we having a war about a chicken coop? How is this happening? But some people just want to fight in order to fight about nothing. And you can step into that and say, hey, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you position the clock. It doesn't matter what you do with the coffee. It doesn't matter the carpet. It doesn't really matter. So stop fighting about that. So there are some of those minors that Christians major in that literally, you could say, it doesn't matter at all. But actually, speaking of this principle, most of the minor things that Christians are tempted to major in matter somewhat, just not the most. And that's where it gets a little bit tricky. I remember, and I've probably shared this, I do remember a time when I worked at a grocery store years ago, and there were regulars who came in. One was an older lady. I still remember her. She would come down through the aisle. So I was checking her out. We would usually talk about Christian things. She was a believer. I was a believer. It was a nice time of fellowship. And we built some degree of camaraderie over time until one day. I don't know how it happened. Christmas came up. And everything changed from that moment forward in that relationship. And she began giving me a lot of highlighted articles that were very adamant about the evil origins of Christmas. That became our relationship, her trying to convince me of the devilishness of Christmas. Now, if you've looked into the history of Christmas as a holiday, yeah, it does have evil origins. There's no denying that. So that is true. And so there are many Christians who make a decision on that basis since it has bad origins. Therefore, they're not going to celebrate Christmas. I respect that very deeply. So if that's your conviction, good for you. I, I fully respect that. I also believe it is a matter of liberty. And if you want to celebrate Jesus' birth on December 25th, then go ahead and do it because we're so far removed from the origins. Nobody really even knows it unless you try to know it. All that to say... It's something that matters. You can't say it just doesn't matter. It's a step up from the color of the carpet. It does matter, but it doesn't matter the most. And what happened in the grocery store was she began to treat that issue as if it did matter the most. All of our other fellowship went away. Even if we agreed on everything else, that was something she majored in, was passionate about. It was a majoring in the minor. Romans 14 guides us in how we handle minor matters. And wisdom is required to know how minor something is. Some things matter more than other things. But Romans 14 gives us good guidance in matters that are less than most important. And somewhere down here, let not the one who, in this case, eats, but we'll say celebrates, despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who celebrates, for God has welcomed him. In matters of liberty, 
And again, these are things that matter, but not the most. In matters of liberty, let's get along. <laughs> That's the point. Let's get along. Some things matter high enough up that maybe we'll worship at different churches. But they matter high enough up that we can't just say, well, whatever, do whatever you want. But there are many of those things you deal with day to day with other believers, and they're down here where Paul could say either it counts for nothing or it doesn't count for a lot. In those cases, charity. Now, you should have a view on even matters that don't matter the most. I'm not saying don't care if it doesn't matter the most. You should have a view even on the holidays. Are you going to celebrate Christmas? You should have a view about that. But it's a minor, you see, not a major. And you shouldn't pursue that view and build your life around that view as if it were the most essential thing. That's what the Judaizers were doing. Paul didn't have a problem with people being circumcised. He really didn't. One time he did it with one of his young companions for the sake of the Christians around them, Timothy. He didn't have a problem with that. He had a problem with taking that minor thing and making it major and for the Judaizers, even putting it in the place of salvation. But that happens among Christians as well. A minor thing that you get so passionate about that it goes up, 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 and you pursue it with the same fervor as you would something relating directly to the gospel. If you want an example of something that's a few steps up in importance, but still not the most important, you actually can find one in our text. Some of you are already aware because the last line of our text says, and upon the Israel of God, and this is a good example. You may know that there is a debate among Christians. One group are called dispensationalists. Maybe you don't know that. Maybe you wish you didn't know that. It's such a big word. But anyways, it's how it is. There are dispensationalists and there are covenantalists. And there are solid saints in both camps. So people you listen to who teach who are solid probably fall in both camps there. Believers, believers. And it all basically comes down to how you interpret the Bible, especially how promises in the Old Testament relate to the New Testament. We are not talking about heresy. No, but we are talking about something that's not unimportant. It does influence how you interpret the Bible. Here at Faith Bible Church, we are dispensational in our understanding of the Scriptures, and that will influence how I interpret Scripture, and when we do Bible study, if you're covenantal, you can be here. We won't chase you out. Be here. Learn with us. Hooray. But it matters that we have a view here, and our view as a church and as elders, our view here is we are dispensational. Well, I mention that because that final line, upon the Israel of God, is one of the central texts of the disagreement. Because in the briefest of terms, the minor disagreement we are talking about is when God made promises to Israel in the Old Testament as an ethnic people, specifically promises of land, of seed or descendant, of blessing, to an ethnic specific people, Israel, will God keep those promises in a literal way to the very people he made the promises to, and we say yes. If God told Abraham that he and his descendants will have that land and see descendant blessing, then they shall, and in comes the millennium kingdom from Revelation 20. But we can talk about that another time, but... That's the dispensational view typically is God's got to keep those promises. So we interpret the rest of Scripture in that light. So when the church comes on the scene in Acts, we don't 
replace those promises made to Israel. There are ways we fulfill them, but there still remains promises to Israel, Romans 9 through 11. That's our view. Our dear brothers and sisters who are covenantalists, there's a range of views, but typically the idea is that the church is a fulfillment of the promise made to ethnic Israel. And therefore, depending on who you're talking to, God doesn't necessarily have to keep that promise in a literal way to those literal people. There may not be a future for ethnic Israel because the church, believers, Jew, Gentile, have fulfilled that. In that light, you can see how when he speaks of upon the Israel of God, is he talking about Jews and Gentiles together, the church, and he's calling them Israel? And covenantalists would say, well, see, he's calling them Israel. They fulfilled it. The promises are theirs. And dispensationalists tend to come and say, like, no, he's talking about literal Israel. He's talking about Jews who are believers. Those are the Israel of God. That debate matters. Is it a major? It is not a major. And what is the principle of our text? Do not major in the minors. Meaning, care about it, study it, think about it. Don't make your whole life about it. Maybe an example of not making your whole life about it is the fact that although I am, by conviction, dispensationalist, and so my camp would usually say Israel of God. That's referring to Jewish Christians. Separate them out. The church, Jewish Christians. I actually think the Israel of God here is referring to Jews and Gentiles, believers, that he's calling the Israel of God as opposed to the Judaizers who are so focused on the ethnic people. And he says, no, no, no. The Jews at heart are Jews and Gentiles who have believed in Christ, the Israel of God. He already spoke of them as the true descendants of Abraham, so this is saying the same thing. That's an unpopular opinion in my camp, but you know what? I don't care. I'm not going to build my whole life around this view. I do hold this view, but it's not a major. I will not fight and destroy to succeed in my view over the covenantalists. <laughs> I will argue my position, but we're not talking about a compromise of the gospel. Do not major in the minors. Don't do it. You can and should minor in the minors. Do not major in the minors. That was the error of the Judaizers. In other words, care about these minor matters. Do not split a church over them because that would be treating them like a major. If there is a major issue of genuine heresy, split a church over it. You have my permission. But if we're talking about a minor matter, do not raise it up in your passion to a major matter and treat it like a major matter. Again, that was the error of the Judaizers with circumcision. So here's the first part of this rule. Do not major in the minors. Now we're going to state the rule positively like he does in this text. Neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. But a new creation. Major in the majors. That makes sense. And for Paul, the major is a new creation. That's what counts for everything. Actually, if you study the New Testament, you will find that there are exactly three times that Paul gives a statement almost identical to the one in verse 15, where he says, circumcision and uncircumcision don't matter but, and then something else, 
and they're different each time. Let me read them for you. If you remember Galatians 5, 6, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. That's the surface stuff. That's the unimportant. That's the minor stuff here. So what's the major thing? But only faith working through love. That's what matters. Put that on the top shelf. Faith working through love. Again, we read in 1 Corinthians seven nineteen: For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. Sound familiar? But what matters? But keeping the commandments of God. Put that on the top shelf. That's major. And then, of course, in our text, neither circumcision, uncircumcision, but a new creation. You take that and you put that at the top of your life. It is interesting because although those verses look the same, they all give you something different that matters the most. But really, those three things are one. There's the new creation, faith working through love, keeping the commandments of God. New creation summarizes all of those. What is the major that you should major in in our text? It is a person placing their faith in Christ alone and experiencing by the power of the Holy Spirit inner regeneration. And what does that result in? Keeping the commandments of God and faith working through love. They're all connected together. A new creation. That's what he's talking about. He's not here referencing the new heavens and new earth that are coming. That is also a new creation. We're looking forward to that. But here he's talking about you as an individual Christian. You have experienced a new birth, and that is the essential thing. Through faith in Christ. A radical change. This true inner change that happens to every single believer. You can build your whole life around that. You can major in that major. And if someone challenges that doctrine, that through faith in Christ alone, you are both saved and the power of sin is conquered and you will grow by the power of the Holy Spirit. If someone challenges that, you challenge them right back. That is a major. Die on that hill. That is the gospel. That is the gospel and everything it produces, everything that makes it good for us, is that it defeats the guilt of sin and the power of sin. That's what he's talking about here with a new creation. Major in this major. You remember, to go back to this point, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, how they became great examples of missing the point. For example, when there was a man sitting by the pool of Bethesda in Jerusalem, and he had been sitting there, not, I shouldn't say sitting, lying there for 38 years because his legs did not work. For 38 years, it's a long time, Jesus came to that man and he said to him, get up, take up your bed, and walk. Now there are two things there that really matter. Get up, because he can't. So if he does that, oh wow. And walk, because he can't. So if he walks, wow. That would literally require a new creation of muscles and whatever else in this man's legs because he's never walked. And you know what happens? He got up, took up his bed, and he walked. And it was an amazing thing. And the Jews, probably especially the religious leaders, came to that man. And you know, there were those three things Jesus said. 
And they missed the major ones, the new creation of this man's legs after 38 years. Get up, take up your bed and walk. They didn't even see that. And they literally just said, why'd you take up your bed? <laughs> literally, they said, it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to take up your bed. All right. <laughs> this is called majoring in the minors. But what it means to major in the majors is to look at the man who got up and walked. And we can talk about should he carry his bed. Let's talk about that. But that's so minor compared to the new creation. And on a spiritual level, that's what Paul's getting at. Looking at the Judaizers who are saying circumcision, uncircumcision, these are the things that matter. And the law, and the regulate, and the dietary, and you can't eat, the, and you can't do this. And Paul says, you're missing the whole thing. You see these people? They couldn't walk spiritually. Now they walk. Now they love other people through faith in Christ. Long before circumcision was a part of the discussion, they have become a new creation. And my whole life in ministry, Paul says, is to foster that new creation through love, through faith, loving each other, keeping the commandments of God from the heart. And the Judaizers come in and say, that's, that's good for you, Paul. That's really you know, but have you thought about circumcision? And we have some pamphlets here, and we have a conference coming up. And he said, it doesn't matter. Major in the majors. Now, we can laugh at their missing the point because it's so blatant. But like I've said, it's actually not an easy thing for us to keep majoring in the majors in life because there are always minors of varying degrees of importance pushing their way up the ladder to the top. And maybe the easiest example to give you of this and the most controversial, so here we go. But it is politics, and you've seen this over the last several years. Do politics matter? Yeah, a whole lot. It's a democratic republic. You should have a position politically. You should know why you have the position that you have. You need some form of intake to know what's going on in the country. So please don't leave the sermon and say, Bryce says politics don't matter. They do matter. They matter. Okay, okay, there's my caveat. Are they the majors of the Christian life? No, they are not. And I mean that rather indiscriminately. You do sometimes encounter churches that have taken, albeit important, political matters and put them on the top shelf. So sometimes you walk into a church that has taken matters of the political left, put them on the top shelf, and the whole discussion, maybe using some Bible verses, is basically about oppression and liberation, it's all the language that's on CNN. I'm not taking sides here, but listen, you know, you know what I'm talking about. And you walk in and it's the same thing. You turn on that channel and you look at that, you say, they're saying that and you're saying that. And the only difference is a few Bible verses you just barely reference and that's it. <laughs> you know what's happened? Passion about a minor issue and we put it on the top shelf. And that's what the whole church is about. It happens on the political right, reactionary, and now you walk into a church and the main message in the church every week is, look how bad the left are. <laughs> They're like, okay, is that the gospel? No, but that becomes the top shelf. It becomes a matter of majoring in something important, but it's not the most important. 
It is not a new creation. It is not the gospel. Now, you will say there are many political matters that overlap with Christianity and with the teachings of Scripture. Absolutely, yes, you are right. For example, abortion is an issue that's been politicized. It's not our fault. It's just been politicized. We Christians have been heeding, thou shalt not kill forever. And now abortion is a political issue more aligned with the right than the left. That's not our fault. That accidentally happened or whatever. But we as Christians, not because of the political persuasions, but because of Scripture, say no, abortion is sin and it is wrong. So yes, there is overlap between some of these what we consider minor political emphases and our major keeping the commandments of God. But the problem is, it's not an exact overlap, and sometimes it's treated like it is. So you have to ask, is what's driving what we do as a church and individuals as Christians, is it our conviction on the basis of scriptures driving that, and it might happen to line up politically with this or with that? Or is it really politically we feel this way, and then we look to the Bible for justifications and go, aha, and that's why we feel that. That's different. That's different. One is majoring in the majors, Scripture, and one is allowing the minors to take over. Even political emphases have become that way. We can't go into everything, but maybe just an easy test of this. It's kind of what I had said before. If you can walk into a church or even in your conversations ongoingly with a particular believer, if you can walk in there and you can get either Fox News or CNN or whatever an independent news source is, and it's basically the same thing, you know, with some verses, that's the only difference. And that's the main emphasis, the main appeal. You are majoring in minor things. You are majoring in minor things. Because the majors of Scripture, while they sometimes overlap with the interests of unbelievers around us, the bulk of the majors of our belief are not of any real interest to the unbelievers in the wider culture. Neither Fox News nor CNN really cares that much about a new creation. Through faith in Christ, changed heart, love your enemies, it's not of particular interest. You don't see the cross of Christ featured prominently anywhere because they're not believers. That's not what is interesting to them. But to us, that's top shelf stuff. So there should be a clear difference, some overlap, but a clear difference that demonstrates we are majoring in the major things that matter the most. Actually, if you have attended here for some time, you know that last year we started quarterly focuses where we emphasize in our education here Every quarter, one particular doctrine or teaching of Scripture. Right now, we're on personal holiness. The reason we do that is because things got so politically taken over by everybody, <laughs> 2020 on, and eventually exhausted. We said, hold up a minute. These are important, minor, but very important conversations we're having, the same things on the news, and we've got to discuss them but they're not the major things. <laughs> I didn't go into pastoral ministry to talk about nuances of certain debates happening on the news. I didn't do that. <laughs> That's not what this is about. I'm preaching the Word of God, the major things, the cross of Jesus Christ and its impact on those who trusted Him and the way your life changed and the way you love your spouse. And yes, discernment and worldview are part of that. 
but it's not an exact overlap. And so that's why we're on a quarterly focus of personal holiness, because you know who's not talking about that? Any of the news sources. None of them. None of them care. I care. You care. Because we are committed to majoring in the major things, minoring in the minor. Now, verse 16 is simply Paul saying that if you live your life by that rule, grace and mercy will be upon you. The, or sorry, peace and mercy, the peace of God, mercy from God. Notice he does say you have to, quote, walk by this rule. It is difficult to do. When someone sits down with you this week for coffee, where does the conversation naturally go? You can talk about politics and sports and your work and your home life and jokes and all kinds of things, movies, wonderful. You can talk about them like minor things in your life. Talk about them in a minor way, like minor things. But the major things in your life ought to be the major part of your conversation. I hope that at Faith Bible Church, we are very much like the conspiracy theorists or the multi-level marketers where you have that conversation and they will take it where they want it to go. It doesn't matter how hard you resist, you will be looking at makeup or whatever they want you to be looking at. And they will be telling you about how it's changed their life and revolutionized everything or about some conspiracy theorists. And it will just, they will just drive the conversation to some minor thing. May God grant us to be that way about the major things where you almost can't resist taking hold the conversation and driving it to a new creation because those are the things that excite us the most. A high view of God, the sufficiency of the Scriptures, the glories of the Gospel, Christ's call to discipleship, the Spirit's work in us, the power of prayer, personal holiness, missions, evangelism, good works, benevolence, all of that. That's the major stuff. That's everything a new creation results in. May it be major in our life. And that is our commitment as a church, that we'll have views on all minor things, but that the major things will be the driving impetus. And when there are threats to the major things, then we will address those threats and deal with them, but only for the sake of the major things. We are committed to living by this rule looking past the surfaces where everybody else looks, and with Christ going to the very heart, going to the top shelf, and living our life there.